Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. As we said last, well, it was two weeks ago. No, it was last week. <laughs> As we said last week, the, uh, the book of 2 Corinthians is one of those books that um, at times is really encouraging and at times is a little bit sad. And if you weren't here last week, let me explain what I mean by that. It's a bit sad because you have this great loving Apostle Paul who we all would say, hey, if he'd preach at our church, we'd be pretty happy. And he's having to defend himself. See, what happened was he built a work. He did a lot of work. He raised up a group of people, started a church, poured his life into these people. And then you had some false apostles come. When he was away, they came. You see, here's the thing. When he was an apostle, what he did was he left leaders in that church and he'd come back and check on them. And he'd write them letters and he'd pray for them. Some of the prayers, oh, oh, you know, if you can get a chance to study some of the prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed over these people, your heart will be changed. And the reason is not only that those prayers are inspired by the Holy Spirit, but that, that it comes from a relationship um, that, that, boy, I want. He, he talks with such affection for these people. He talks with such love for the people that God's given him. He talks with such thankfulness. He says, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. And I, can you picture a group of people? I'm not talking about one person, but a group of people where you can say, I am thankful at all times for all of those people. How hard would that be? These are not angels. These are people with real dirt and real issues and real problems and real smelly diapers in a spiritual sense. And he says, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. Some of those people were probably pretty nasty to him, but he thanks God. I don't think he's faking it. I don't think he's trying to work it up in himself. I think there's a genuine thankfulness to God. And he's, he's, he's allowed God to work on his heart, even when he's hurt, even when he's abused, that he thanks God. He's thankful for these people. Praise the Lord. So some of these prayers are so deep. And, and last week we talked about how he said um, they, in one state, he says, you know, I, I, I nurtured you like a mother. Then he says, I've admonished you and exhorted you like a father. And he said, when I went away from you, I was like an orphan. There's this this intimacy of a family that he speaks of, but he's having to defend himself because these other apostles have come in. You see, when you're an apostle, you can't stay in one place all the time. You have to go start a work, put lead, raise up leaders in that place and then go somewhere else. That's the call of the apostle is um, to go and to start things and build things and keep things going. And so he would go and he'd leave these places and other people would come in and try to take over these churches. And in order to take over these churches, you realize if you're going to take over a work that somebody else started, you either have to have their blessing. Or you turn the people against them. And of course, he was, they weren't going to get Paul's blessing because they were, they were not the real deal. They were just trying to take advantage. And so what they had to do was to, to try to put Paul down so that these people would let them come in and be their apostles now. So he's having to defend himself. And it's, it's powerful what he says in his own defense. But we won't talk too much about that. But we're going to talk in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to start in verse 12. He says, for we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. You know, you, you don't need to, to 
spend too many too much time around those who will commend themselves. These are the people who are um, always putting themselves above everyone else. These are the people who are putting themselves at the top of the list. They are commending themselves. He says, we're not going to put ourselves in the same class as them. He says, but when they measure themselves by themselves. See, they're not measuring by Christ, the good shepherd. They're measuring themselves by their own measure, by themselves, he says, and compare themselves with themselves. They are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure. Now that means that there is room to boast, isn't it? But it's not boasting beyond your measure. Well, what does that mean? What's that measure? When we hear the word measure, often in the New Testament, it's speaking of something that God has given us. Right? It says that God has given us a measure of faith. God has given us a measure of authority. God's given us a measure of influence. And so all of these things, he says, we have a measure what, that God has apportioned to us, that God has given to us, and we're not going to boast outside of that. Nor, I'm going to boast in what God has assigned me to. I'm not going to boast in myself. I'm not going to boast in my own personality or abilities, but I'm going to boast in the Lord and what he's given me. And see, that's what he does. He says that we won't boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere. Now, when you hear the word sphere, what shape do you think of? It's round, right? <laughs> sphere, like us, it's round. So you want to think, think about a sphere. Sphere is like, like draw a big circle around you. This is, there, there are people that fit into that sphere. That God has given you. He says that we are within the measure of sphere. Which God has apportioned to us as a measure. To reach even as far as you. So as a believer. Now you say he has a sphere of influence. Because he's an apostle. But don't you know as a believer. God's given you a sphere to operate in. Of course. You know Mark 16. Says that these signs will follow them who have believed. Let me set you, let me give you the background for that. In fact, hold your place in 2 Corinthians 10 because we will return. But I'll just read to you from Mark 16. We'll break it down a bit because there's been some misunderstanding about this uh, chapter from time to time. Because Jesus is talking to two groups of people. He's first talking to his disciples. And what he says to them is, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. So what's the, what's, the, uh, what's the measure we're going by? What's the standard? The one who believes is saved, right? The one who doesn't believe is condemned. So, hey, we're believers. Praise the Lord. We're saved. Thank God. So he says the disciples are going to go out and they're going to preach the gospel to all creation. But then watch this. He says, these signs will accompany those who have believed. Now, I've heard people try to twist this into saying, well, what, you know, he says those who have believed. So he's talking about the people that have already believed before he says that. Well, if that were the case, he'd be ruling out the Apostle Paul. If that were the case, he'd be ruling out Philip. If that were the case, we would go. I mean, as soon as John dies off, demons run free. <laughs> you know, they didn't give up. When John died, they didn't say, oh, the last apostle's dead. Let's just go home. 
There's, I mean, there's no reason for them to do that. He says these will, signs will accompany those who have believed. So he lays out a timeline. You're going to preach. People are going to believe. And then signs will follow those guys. Not just you. But those people that just believed. He's talking about those that believed. Signs will follow him. So what qualifies you for this whole statement is whether or not you've believed in the message of the gospel. He says... In my name, that means as if I were doing it myself. Have you ever thought of that? When I'm casting out a demon, when I'm laying hands on the sick, when I'm treading on serpents and scorpions, that's a spiritual thing. When I'm doing these things, I'm doing it as if Jesus were doing it himself. In my name, in my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, they will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands. He says they. He does not say just you. Listen, if he just talking about these guys, he would have said you'll lay hands on the sick. But he goes, they, these ones that you preach the gospel to, the ones that believe from your message, which I believe from their message, didn't you? Those ones that believe your message, they're going to lay hands on the sick and they're going to see them recover. Now, tell me that doesn't sound like a sphere of influence to you. It sounds like God has given each of us people that are going to be set free, delivered, healed, led to Jesus because of your influence. Now, if we have that sphere, we've got to understand that God has not called us all to the same thing or the same place or the same people. We're called to our sphere. And back to 2 Corinthians 10. He says. He says, and we'll read uh, verse 14 again. Sorry, verse 13 again. We will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere, which God apportioned to us. So that tells me that they didn't enlarge their own sphere. They didn't fight for their own sphere. God gave them a sphere to operate in. That doesn't mean everywhere you are is the sphere that God gave you because he's going to say these false apostles are outside their own sphere. But he, as a man of God, has sought the Lord, has spent time finding out, God, where do you want me? Who is it I'm reaching? What is it I'm doing? What is it that the individual gifts that you've placed inside me, everybody in this room has got individual gifts. Praise the Lord. You're never just a spectator. You've all got gifts And if we had to sit you on the front row and tell you each of your gifts, well, that'd be something. But I think it's even better if you come to know them through the spirit, that you come and discover some of them on your own. We sometimes wait for everybody to point out all the things we're supposed to do or all the things we can do. But don't you know you're the first one that should know that? So what happens is God apportions us a sphere. Now, when you're a baby... You get a small sphere because you, the bigger the sphere, the more the opposition. But as that sphere is enlarged, it's enlarged by our faith. It's enlarged by our prayers. It's enlarged by our uh, stewardship. It's enlarged by our faithfulness. Here's what it says. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. So when I write you this letter, I'm not going beyond what God gave me. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure. He says that again. That is in other man's labors. 
but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere, enlarged even more by you. Isn't that a cool thought? Let me read that again so it can sink in, because I realize it's, a, it's complex. He says that we hope. Now, hope to when the Apostle Paul says hope, he's not, he's not saying, I wish. Uh, really, gee golly, I, I would love for this to happen. He says, I hope. Now, that's earnest expectation, right? He says, we hope, with the hope, that as your faith grows, listen to that, that's the key. As your faith grows, we will be within our sphere, enlarged even more by you. So we're enlarged. Faith is what expands the sphere. Faith is what enlarges us. Faith is what enables us to reach further than we were able to reach before. But it's so important, guys, to understand that God has given you a sphere, an area that you were assigned to. And that the problem here is not ha- is not that is not that uh, you're you know, somebody's too ambitious or not that somebody's too excited. It's that they were uh, if think about it, like Paul so many times talked about running a race. He had people running into his lane. And they weren't supposed to be in his lane, you know. He had people running over, trying to push him out of his lane, getting his lane. Stay in your lane. God's given you a sphere. Stay out of mine. And, and they were fighting for his sphere of influence that, that really they weren't prepared to handle. So as a believer, you go, all right, that's all fine and good for Paul. But what about for me? As a believer, as a saint, what about me? Where's the sphere? What, what am I supposed to do? Because, you know, to be honest, I, I, I sometimes feel like I'm just showing up. You ever feel that way? Like, like maybe I'm just showing up and everybody else can do the work. You know, that is a lie that the enemy will try to tell you. And he'll try to tell you, you're not needed. You're not needed. Everybody else can do just fine without you. Look at them. They're doing just fine without you. Oh, friends, that is a lie. Don't ever believe it. God has given you something. It is unique. It is valued. But you know what? You've got to be the first to get on your knees and find out, Lord, what am I meant to do? I've met many believers, guys, that are expecting that somebody more spiritual than them will tell them, point them in the face and say, this is what you're supposed to do. And that sometimes happens. But more often than not, it is the Lord speaking to you. Now, we're in a church right now, right? Now, what I mean, we're in a building, but we're in a church. We are the church here. So we understand that as a church, there are times where you say, I'm not being utilized here. They don't recognize my gifts. Well, do you understand that sometimes you've got to just get up and and, and you've got to, you know, talk to the pastor and and say, hey, listen, the Lord's put this on my heart because there are a lot of people that show up in this building. And you know what? There, there is a responsibility on us as ministers to be able to say, um, I'm praying for everyone in this room. I'm praying that their gifts come out. I'm praying that God would help them in their jobs. But we don't know everything that the Lord's spoken to you. The, you know, your pastor doesn't know every single thing that God's ever said to you. And sometimes there needs to be that honest conversation of, listen, I've had this dream and I believe it's God and I want you to help me get there. And, you know, nine times out of ten, you're going to get a, all right, well, let's see how to get you there. It may not be instant. 
You may not be ready right now to do whatever God's put in your heart. Rarely are we ready the first time God tells us, but there is a process of getting there. But sometimes we just think if no one comes up to me and tells me this is what you're going to do, then I guess they don't think I'm able to do anything. Well, don't you know that God has given you abilities and, 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 you know, Pastor Brownie knows God's given you abilities and people around you know God's given abilities. You're the one that's got to realize I've got something inside of me and I'm not going to judge it like everybody else judges it. If what I'm supposed to do is be the best cleaner there is, I'm going to be the best cleaner there is. If what I'm supposed to be is a street witnesser, I'm going to get on that corner and witness. If what I'm supposed to be is a children's minister, thank God they're just as much saints as the people up here. Some people think that children's ministry is a stepping stone to everything else. No. Children's ministry involves real, spirit-filled believers. They are not second-class citizens. They are citizens of heaven, just like us. They are saints called by God. And their ministry starts the moment they set foot outside of this building. In fact, their ministry starts even in this building. And many of us know if you're not feeling well, if you've got a big problem, get a kid to pray for you. You'll be doing really well. So we view, we view ourselves and we judge ourselves after the flesh and we knock ourselves down and say, well, I just guess, you know, I guess no one recognizes my talents. No one recognizes my gifts. Praise God. Do you know God recognizes your talents and gifts because he put them there? So if they're there, then you need to pray those things through. And when you've got even a foggy vision of what that's meant to be, sit down. If, if, if you need, if you say, I need to, I, I think I need to be exercising this in the church, then have a conversation with the pastor. Don't just expect that they'll know everything and And that if they don't, well, I guess I'm not being used. Action precedes titles usually. Now, let's look in Acts chapter 8. Because I believe that God's going to enlarge you. As your faith grows, so you are enlarged. Now, this all hinges on relationship, doesn't it? Relationship with Jesus. As you, I mean, this is all going to be born out of prayer. And, and I, don't, I, I don't say that cavalierly. I don't think that that's a strange thing to say, that prayer is the seed ground for everything you're going to do in your life. Why? Because anything worth doing, you're going to do because the Lord told you to do it. Otherwise, you'll quit when it gets hard. The only way we keep going when things get hard is that you know God called you to do it. And the only way you're going to know God called you to do it is to actually talk to him. Oh, thank God he wants to guide your paths. He's got a path for you. He wants to guide your steps. He's got it laid out. But how will you know if you don't ask? Relationship. This relationship. To know him. To hear from him. To know his voice. The stranger's voice you won't follow. You know, I just uh, did a wedding for a couple of friends of mine uh, last weekend. And, you know, they're, they're two very personable people, very charismatic in their nature. They're the kind of people who people just love to be around. And, and, and I recognize that they're young, they love Jesus, and they, they genuinely are, are good around people. But I sat down with them and I said, listen, guys, you're personable enough there are going to be tons of people that open doors for you and say, here, come work with us. Or come, come do this over here. And I said, whatever you do, 
just seek the Lord and go through the door he opens. Because you know what? The more on fire for Jesus you get, the more doors open everywhere. The more every church in town wants you. The more other churches outside of town want you. The more, the more people want you to join their club or their Bible study or, or come over here and do this with me. But you know there is a path that God has laid out for you. And that's the path you've got to follow. When I was a teenager, I thought that every time I was asked to preach, it must be God, because who else would want me to preach? You start to preach for a while, and you get more invitations. You realize you can't do everything that people ask you to do. You may not know, and I'll never tell you, how many, how many churches say, well, would you come and pastor here? And, and I know my parents d- dealt with the same thing. Well, you know, we've turned them down because we know where we're supposed to be. And you've got to do the same. This is not just for pastors. This is for saints. There are doors all over the place that sound good. You walk through the one that God lays before you. And the only way you're going to find that out is through your personal time with him. And he's given you a way to march straight into the throne room. Through Jesus Christ. That you can boldly walk into him and find help. Find grace. Find mercy in a time of need. You know, this is where you need to be, right? So this is... This is where we find out where our sphere is. You know, Paul understood his sphere. Where did the sphere come from? It was apportioned to me by God. He understands that a sphere is not something that he built. It's not something he made. It's not something he discovered. He understands it was given to him by God. So a man that knows what's, what's given to him by God is a man that's got a pretty good relationship with him. Enough to know that that church, that church, that church, that church, that church is under my authority because God gave them. So I'm going to take care to pray for them, to love on them, to visit them. And I'm not going to let somebody come in and take that thing over. I mean, that that sounds harsh, but this man knew what God had given him. In Acts chapter 8, something happens. We find out in chapter 7 that um, Stephen, one of, the, one of the deacons, has been put to death for preaching the gospel. He's known as the first martyr. After that, there is a wave of persecution that hits the church in Jerusalem. There was, a, there was persecution before, but it really got intense. Um, if you recall, there was persecution. Peter and John were persecuted, but it was mainly just the leaders that were getting singled out. What you may not realize about Stephen is he wasn't one of the main leaders. Stephen wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a pastor. He was a deacon. His, one of his jobs was to make sure that old women got food. But he preached the gospel because all the deacons were not just good businessmen. They were men full of faith and full of the spirit. You understand that a deacon is not just somebody who handles business things while the pastor handles spiritual things. No, a deacon's got to be spiritual. And so... Phil, uh, sorry, Stephen was one of those men. But, but what Stephen's death signified was that they're going after everyone. And Paul, who at that time was named Saul, stood there and watched as Stephen prophesied and preached by the power of God. And Saul heard that message. And at that point, the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, because you know the word of God is sharper than two, any two-edged sword. It says that everybody that heard Stephen who didn't believe was cut to the quick. That means that that sword of the spirit pierced to their very heart. Why? 
Because Jesus loved them. Loved them enough to have it pierced to their heart where they could make a decision. I'm going to accept it or I'm going to reject it. But their pride kept them from believing. So they hardened their heart further. They gnashed their teeth. They pulled at their hair. They yelled at the top of their lung. And they said, we're going to kill this man. Saul stands by. He sees this happening. And as he sees it happening, the Holy Spirit pokes him right in the heart. Right in that hard heart. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit pokes past all that callus, past all that stone, and hits him right in the fleshy center of his heart. And it hurts. You see, if he had repented, it would have felt really good. But he didn't. He fought it. He kicked it. I imagine, guys, because you know how we know this? Because later on, when he finally gets knocked off his horse, knocked on the ground at least, we don't know what he was riding, or if he was riding at all, when he's knocked on the ground, Jesus said, it is hard for you to kick against the goads of the prodding. And so we know that at that point, Holy Spirit, through Stephen's message, and every point after that, began to prod his heart. Can you imagine Saul waking up in the morning feeling uncomfortable? And angry because the Holy Spirit says, come here, come here, come here. And he doesn't want to. So what do you do? You're not comfortable. Holy Spirit's bugging you to go and do what he's called you to do, to be who he's called you to be, to get on your knees, break your pride, man, and bow your knee. And he won't do it. So the way he gets, get, makes himself feel better and fights it is that he goes and finds as many Christians as he can and he starts persecuting them, putting them in jail, killing them. Uh, he says, I, he later confesses to Jesus that he actually murdered some of them. He does this. And at this point, he's, only, he's one of many that are doing this. And at this point, the church in Jerusalem, which was relatively safe and just the leaders were being persecuted, now the whole church is experiencing extreme persecution and they scatter. Now that would have been a bad thing, except for the fact that they were supposed to scatter long before this. (laughs) You see, they got comfortable. They got comfortable where they were. Because we all like the big church, right? They love the big church in Jerusalem. Big church, lots of people, big songs, big band. Well, I don't think they had a big band. But, you know, I mean, this is like we like to have a crowd. And so they liked that. But, but the Lord had said to them, preach us in Jerusalem. Then Judea, then Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. Was anybody going to Samaria? Nope. <laughs> they didn't even go to Samaria, which is only a few miles away. How are they ever going to go anywhere else? They just stayed in Jerusalem. Isn't it nice? 3,000 people came to Jesus through Peter's message on top of the ones that were already believers. This is awesome. We have a nice big group that gets to meet together. I love this city. It feels like heaven on earth. Wake up. It's not supposed to be just your little club. There's a world to reach. Get out. Go reach them. Well, they didn't. But then when persecution came, boy, they they started scattering then. And they remembered the words of Jesus, preach this gospel. And and so Philip is another one of those deacons. And he doesn't, you know, he, he just, he gets scattered. And he ends up going to Samaria. Well, thank God he knew what to do, right? He begins to preach the gospel in Samaria. Let's read in chapter 8. Eight verse one, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. 
And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Thank God. They didn't just hide. They went about preaching. They got their heads on straight and began to preach as they were scattered. And it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. How many of us know that Samaritans did not get along with Jews? We know that, right? One of the insults they flew against Jesus. Not only you are the son of a son of an adulterous woman, but you are also a Samaritan and you have a demon. Those were about side by side. Samaritans were the cult. It wasn't just a racial thing. It was a a religious thing. Samaritans did have some weird beliefs. We won't get into that. So what happens is everybody else, everybody else is like, well, there's got to be Jews in other places, right? Let's go preach to the Jews in other places. Philip's like, I got Samaritans. Are they close enough? Let's just preach to them. They may not be Jews, but they need to hear the gospel too. Everybody's like, can you do that? Can you preach to Samaritans? Did Jesus die for them too? I think he said something about that. Well, so Philip begins to preach to the Samaritans. Oh, my. And what happens? It says the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing because the gospel preaches through word and deed, doesn't it? The gospel preaches with power. And so where there is the gospel, there are signs. Where there is the gospel, there are works and wonders and, 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 and the Holy Spirit pierces your heart through the message, but then people are healed and set free and delivered. And, and there, are, there are things confirming what he's saying. And it says, for in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. Praise the Lord. One dude. We know this guy is Philip the Evangelist, don't we? Why do we know that? Because in Acts, I think, 19, it calls him Philip the Evangelist. But at this point, nobody's calling him Philip the Evangelist. He's just Philip the deacon. What's your job? Feeding poor people. What are you doing? I'm preaching the gospel. You know what? Because no matter what your job is, you could preach the gospel. And he goes and he preaches the gospel. He doesn't wait for one of the apostles to say, yes, brother, we are going. We see the power to preach in you. Now go and preach. And we're going to take up an offering for you. We're going to lay hands on you and anoint you with oil. He just does it because Jesus commissioned him to do it. We wait for somebody to point us out. But don't you know that Jesus has already pointed you out? So he goes and he preaches. And many are healed. Many are delivered. Verse 8. Don't you love verse 8? So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there were many more miracles that took place. We won't talk about them all now. But I want to show you something later on. When he's done this, there's been some powerful things. And then it says in verse 14. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a lot of things that come after that, but we're going to skip on down. 
in verse 25. So the apostles stay there for a while and preach. In verse 25, so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Do you see that? They weren't preaching to Samaritans until one guy realized God had given it to him to do it. When he started preaching to the Samaritans, reaching outside of the group of people he's normally used to reaching, God was in it. People were healed. Signs were taking place. Then the apostles saw that they came and helped him because God is going to give you backup. If you'll be willing to go out and take a step of faith and step out where he told you to go, he's able to send you back up and reinforcements. When you need reinforcements, you got them. You've got prayer warriors. So you see, the thing is, the apostles didn't lead the way this time. It was just one of the saints. And he decided God sent me. He was scattered. He ran. He made it started in fear, but he ended in faith. He ended in Samaria and began to preach. The apostles came back. Now, what's the result? The apostles that were just preaching to Jews all of a sudden go, God is moving amongst the Samaritans. You see, on the way down, they just went to see what Philip was doing. On the way back, they preached in every village of the Samaritans. Why? Because they saw God is ministering to these Samaritans. Why have we been leaving them out? Now watch what happens in Acts chapter 11. Of course, you know that Philip later on uh, leads the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. And it's a miraculous thing. God tells him to go start walking down a desert road. He starts walking down a desert road. God tells him to run and catch a chariot. He runs and catches a chariot. He give, God gives him words to speak and he speaks as he gives him utterance. And the man gets born again and baptized right on the road. And then he says, as, as, as they say, amen, Philip is translated in the spirit, not to where he needs to go. Because, Echo, we all want to be translated to a convenient location. That's the whole joy of translation in the spirit. But he is translated 60 miles from where he needs to go. He was closer when he started. But what does he do? On those 60 miles, he preaches in every village. Proclaims Christ. You see, God, God is not in it for convenience. He's, he put you on a mission. You know, he's, he's not going to give you power for convenience sake. He's going to give you power for kingdom's sake. Thank God. I don't, I'm, not looking to be, I'm not looking for a convenient life. I'm looking for a powerful life. I'm looking for a kingdom life. I'm looking for a spirit-filled life. The world can have convenience. We want Jesus. And this is what happens. So he gets put on. He gets translated. In Acts 11, we're going to find out about more people that were scattered. In, in verse 19, so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen. So this is, this is not later than Philip. This is at the same time, basically. Some time has elapsed, but he's telling you around that same time, there were people scattered in all directions. Philip went to Samaria. Other people went other places. When you hear scattered, that sounds like all different directions, right? Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Do you know who lives in these places? Non-Jews. Jews live here too. But there are Phoenicians. There are a lot of Greeks. There are people from other nations that are here that aren't Jews, that worship pagan gods, 
And you realize, listen to this, we know now, when we talk about Jesus, we don't go up to somebody and go, do you believe in Moses? And they say, yes. Well, Jesus, do you believe in Elijah? Yes. Do you believe in Isaiah? Yes. Jesus is the prophesied Messiah. We don't usually preach that way, right? Because most of the time, we're not preaching to Jewish people. We could, praise the Lord. But most of the people in Lloyd aren't Jewish. So we end up telling them the gospel to the Gentiles. Which is, yes, we, we will tell them about the Old Testament. We'll tell them about Jesus being the Messiah. But we'll also tell them that, that God has, is calling them to be a holy nation of peculiar people. That, that they've been grafted into the family. He wants to adopt them. And so you realize that these people are used to, even the Samaritans kind of had an idea of a Messiah. You know, they kind of had an idea. They were, they were like the cousins of the Jews in a lot of ways. So they still had some of the, but pagans are way out there. Samaritans still believed in one God. The pagans believe in like a pantheon. They believe in many gods who aren't very holy. These are gods that will change shape just to have a, you know, a, an affair with somebody. I don't like calling an affair. To fornicate with someone. We, we use all these nice words to dress up sinful things. <laughs> Do you know what's an affair? Having a picnic at Bud Miller. That's a lovely affair we had. Let's, let's, we use the affair so it doesn't sound so bad when someone commits adultery. But, but you know, uh, something else. Okay, so what happened was that these gods would come out and fornicate with people. And they weren't holy at all. They'd backstab each other. They'd cheat. They'd lie. And these are the gods that they're worshiping. And they worship them by sacrificing. They worship them by building idols and purchasing idols. They worship them by doing a lot of other nasty stuff we don't even want to talk about. These are the people you got to preach to. They're, real, they're used to preaching to genuine, pious people that at least believe in one God. Now you got to preach to these people? No, they're not going to do it. They don't, they don't have that concept in their mind that, Yet, that Jesus came for everyone. Here's what happens. It says, they made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. These are the people I get. They're the ones I understand. They're the ones I can reach. Do you know we often limit ourselves to the people we think we can reach? You work in the oil field. Oh, I can reach oil field guys. I speak their language. Yes, you can. Do you know God can also have you reach a professor? Because it's not your wisdom, it's his wisdom. And I, I know a lot of really smart oil field guys too, so I'm not saying that there's a difference. But there's sometimes we, we classify ourselves by our own class of people. I can reach city folk, you reach rural folk. I can reach these people, you can reach those people. I can reach, uh, you, you can reach native people, I'll reach white people. We say these things, right? But God didn't say that. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So they're speaking to no one but Jews alone because that's who they're comfortable with. But watch what happens. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also. Now the Greeks, um, you know, uh, these, are, these are Greeks. These are also Jews who, who have been, um, you know, living a Greek lifestyle. But, but Greek-speaking people, some pagans, some just way out there, they're preaching to Gentiles. And it says, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. The ones that, that said, you know, I'm not going to just stay and just 
go where I'm comfortable or, or preach to whom I'm comfortable preaching. I'm going to go and speak to whoever Jesus wants me to speak to. I'm going to love whoever Jesus tells me to love. And so they end up going to Greeks too. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like what happened with Philip when he began preaching out of his comfort zone. The hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Do you see what happens? You get some groundbreaking saints. These are no names. We don't find out who they are. Just regular Bible-believing, spirit-filled super-Christians. Because when you've got the spirit inside you, you're super-Christian. And they go and they reach these people. And what happens? When the hand of the Lord moves, they start to see signs and wonders. Then the church sends an apostle to them. You see, we think about this so backwards sometimes. We think, well, maybe those spiritual guys will start it and then they'll start something and then I'll just, um, I'll come along. But you know, God has put some things in your heart. God has given you some things that you're meant to do, people you're meant to reach, that, that you're the one. And when it's time for reinforcements, there'll be reinforcements, but somebody's got to make the first move. That's a good time if you've got a dream like that to go and talk to somebody. I'd say it'd be a great idea to talk to. For instance, if you're in this church, great idea to talk to Pastor Brownie and say, listen, I got this on my heart because you realize if you need help, there's often help for you. If, if you're not quite where you need to be to start that, if you're not quite where, I mean, if there's some work to do to get to that place, there's usually people who are going to help you get to that place. We're so sometimes intimidated of one another. We think people are going to judge us for what, we, what God puts on our heart. You know, people are going to celebrate what God's put on your heart. You, now, you've got you to gotta realize that maybe that's not going to happen tomorrow. There may be a process. Because the, the scripture says, lay hands on no man suddenly. There, there's often a process to get there. But you realize if you have that in your heart, if God truly put it, there will be people confirming it. Because God's able to speak to other people just besides just you. But you've got to make that move. You've got to take that step. Don't just wait for somebody to pick you out of a crowd. Guys, sometimes we wait for a prophet to come up and tell us everything. But you don't always have to wait for that. You know, if God uses a prophet, praise the Lord. I believe in that. But if God speaks directly to your heart and your prayer time gives you a vision, then you need to pray through that. You need to spend time praying through that, finding out what that means, finding out where that sphere is. And do you realize there will be stages in your life where your sphere is enlarged? Praise God. As you grow, as your faith grows, your sphere often grows. Now, what's going to happen? Sometimes when, when God is moving us to that next thing, you may feel uncomfortable for a bit. You may feel like, ah, just... Ah. And some people, because they feel uncomfortable, they think they just got to go do something else entirely. But maybe it's God calling you to a deeper level. Maybe it's God calling you to, to step up. You know, that we, we take that uncomfortability and we just think, well, I just don't know what this is. I guess I'm just going to give everything up. But often it's God saying, I'm calling you deeper. I'm calling you to more. And, and instead of just saying, well, why doesn't anyone see it? God's saying, you just need to pray it. 
pray it out and maybe talk to somebody about it. Share that vision. Share that dream. Not with everybody. Don't be like Joseph and just blab everywhere. But share with somebody that's going to stand with you and do it in order. Talk to your pastor and say, listen, this is what God put in my heart. And you'll see what God does with that. So many times we get that uncomfortability, just that. And we just think, what is this? I don't understand it. Maybe I'm just supposed to give up. It's not about giving up. It's about growing. But that's going to start in your relationship with God. You see, every decision you've got to make, you've got to make it from the spirit. Now, I'm saying this this is probably the most serious thing I'm going to say all night. Every decision must come from the spirit of God. And I need to say that in a certain way because you need to hear it for what it is. We cannot make decisions out of frustration. You can't make decisions out of fear. You can't make decisions out of boredom. You cannot make decisions out of anger, out of rejection. All of these things are not God's space. He doesn't work in these spaces. Many people start doing something because they're frustrated where they are. That's not what you're supposed to do. Great decisions don't come from frustration. They come from time with the Lord. Many times when you're frustrated, you can check your time with the Lord and it's gone down a bit, hasn't it? You know, you notice I'm not spending time. Well, he, that's where the strength is. That's where the encouragement is. That's where the life is in his presence. That's, Peter said you would find times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Don't you know? You don't pray to get worn out. You pray to get built up. So a lot of times when we're frustrated, we look back and we've been trying to do something in our flesh for how long? And he says, you've got to do it in my spirit, in my grace. You need to spend some time with me. You need to spend some time in the throne room and find help in the time of need. Don't make your decision because you're frustrated. I just don't know what to do, so I just got to do something. Oh, that's when you're probably going to make the worst mistakes. Do something when God puts it on your heart. You get on your knees. You pray. You seek the Lord. You find out what what the will of God is for your life. And then you begin to take steps towards it. You find the scriptures in the word of God that apply to what God's calling you to do. And you stand on that. If you can't find it in here, you better not do it. If you can find it in here, you can find God speaking to your life, speaking to your situation. You stand on it with the power of God and you don't let go. You don't you don't back off. You don't. It may take years. It may take five minutes. But whatever you do, you do it out of that time with the Lord and in the power of God. The reason I say this tonight, I can say this because this is a small group. The reason I say this tonight. It's because I recognize that our church, the people in this group. Now, the church in Lloydminster is a much larger church than us. Thank God. But I'm talking about those in this group that come in this building. There are many of you that are going to go through different seasons of life with different sizes of a sphere that God gives you. It's God who gives you the sphere. You don't take it. You don't desire it for yourself. God will give it to you. He'll put you where he wants you to be. But in those times of changing, sometimes those are uncomfortable times. And I know that many people will sit in their chair burning with something that God gave them. And they'll wait for somebody to point it out. And it never gets pointed out. And if they wait long enough, they get disappointed. And if they're disappointed long enough, they get resentful. 
And that resentment leads to a lot of negative things. Don't let it get to that point. If God puts something on your heart, pray it through. Find the word on the subject. Talk to the pastor about it. Find out what they have to say about the matter. Hey, listen, is God speaking to you about this? Well, not yet. Why don't you tell me what he said to you? I'm gonna, I'll, I promise you I'll pray it through. And when that happens, you've got a, you've got a partner. And then you've got reinforcements that come in and help you. Don't you know that God is going to use you to reach more than you could have imagined? But it's got to come from him, not your own idea of success, not your own idea of what a Christian should do. It's got to come from him. Those that get much honor on this earth may not get all the honor in heaven. The ones that do what God called them to do, even when no one sees it, they're going to get a lot of honor. So don't judge it by the earthly standards. Judge it by his standards. Know where you're supposed to be. Know your sphere and your faith. As you're faithful in the little things, he makes you ruler over much, right? Some people just aim for rulership. They just want to be a ruler. Be faithful. And God will lead you to other things. God will give you times of graduation. But don't resent. Don't despise the days of small beginnings. Don't be ashamed of those times that you sat under the tree, serenading your sheep, killing a lion, killing a bear, because there is a giant waiting. But the giant has to wait for you to be ready to get the giant. You see, you're not ready for the giant first time. You've got to spend that time like David with the Lord, developing that relationship, killing a lion, killing a bear, killing wolves. And then now, you know, your God. And now I'm ready to get a giant. That's what you've got to do. And that's what you can do. I want to encourage you. There's nobody in this room. And I'm, I've looked at every one of your faces. So don't think, well, you just forgot about me. There's nobody in this room that is disqualified. There's nobody in this room that is a nobody. There's nobody in this room that is a great disappointment to the kingdom of God. Stop believing that about yourself. Start believing that you are called, set apart, and anointed for His work. And God's got a plan for you. And there are people in that you just think, oh, they're, oh, they're, I'm just not going to measure up. They're just not going to think that my dream is worth anything. It doesn't compare to what they've got. Forget that. If you're doing what God's called you to do, you're anointed, you're powerful, you're going to get honor. And we'll stand behind you and we'll pray for you. And we'll do whatever we can to see you reach that goal that God's given you. Don't watch TV to try to figure out your goal. Don't read a book to try to figure out your goal. Talk to Jesus about your goal. Ask him what he wants you to do. As you look at everybody else, remember he says those that compare themselves with themselves aren't wise. We get our measure from him. He's the level. He tells us what our sphere is. He says, son, this is your sphere. Well, it doesn't look as big as the other sphere. Oh, it doesn't look as big in earthly terms, but it's big in heaven. Oh, this one looks way too big for me. Well, you don't realize how big I am inside of you. Praise God. I, I'm excited. God has, God has good plans for you. Good plans for you. He, his thoughts towards you are nothing but good. So I, I just want you to know that about yourself. You Just stop putting yourself down. Stop disqualifying yourself. Stop thinking of yourself as less. Start thinking of yourself as Jesus sees you. And, and realize that his sphere is the only sphere that matters. Don't try to be somebody else. Be who God made you.